0: This is Coda Radio, episode 365 for July 8th, 2019. To Coda Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show that takes a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. My name is Wes, and I'm very pleased to be joined by that firecracking Floridian who's had one too many fireworks this time around, Mr. Michael Dominic. Hi, Mike.
1: Get off my lawn!
0: I know. I transitioned from being a, you know, like a, a fun-loving lad in my youth who liked blowing things up, frankly. Yeah. And now I'm a dog owner, so it's just about the worst thing in the world. I think we've got one, one other person who snuck in in the nick of time. Mr. Chris Fisher. Hello, Chris. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me back. Oh, we wouldn't be without you.
2: I kind of am a little relieved that I'm not the only one. I had the same transition. Like, this year, I was like, oh, can we just not? Yep. It's just, yeah, it's kind
0: of a futz. I Honestly, I prefer just the professional shows. You know, you can go there if you want to see it. Yeah. It's usually away from most of the housing.
2: I-, I could even go with another compromise. How about we just all agree from, like, 8 p.m. to midnight, uh, you have that on the 4th of July. And we'll just all prepare for that. It's like the day that before. And today we're recording on the 8th, and my neighbors are still setting off fireworks. Still going strong. I'm kind of like, okay, how about, how about we just compromise? Meet somewhere in the middle here. That's all. You know, actually, I'm such I, an old man.
0: I looked up how to do some CSS fireworks, so that's another <laughs> tech-powered solution. Just don't blow anything up. Use the
1: computer. I just wanted to go out to the neighborhood kids and say, this is the blink tag. Knock
2: yourselves out. You know what? It is the real-life version of the blink tag, isn't it? It really is, right? <laughs> Good call. <laughs> I think that's exactly it. Okay, now... Um, I feel a little affronted here because every time I come on the show, you guys put Mac News stories in the doc. And I didn't even do anything. I didn't do any of this. this no, is I, I will back you up on this. It <laughs> okay. just
0: happens. And we've talked about it enough. It was Joe. We, we want to follow up on stories that we cover, right? It just makes sense. It's our instinct.
2: I think Alan Jude and Joe are conspiring against me to get the audience to think that I'm the Mac guy on the show. Is what it is. You guys are just complicit. Despite overseeing
0: the Linux of Linuxica, Linuxification, that's hard to say. But regardless, you made that happen here in the studio, right? I mean, there's there's hardly a Mac to be seen.
2: I, I prefer uh, the term "freeing the studio," Wes. Oh, freeing the studio. Wow. <laughs> oh God. It
0: was more about philosophy than functionality.
2: <laughs> oh, burn! Nice. Wow. I am really impressed how you turned that around on me. <laughs> Dang it! Okay, well, um, yeah. So I, I think the big hoopla story uh, that kind of leads into this thing that I was sort of implying is a: uh, it's now you guys, as you guys talked about on the record, that Johnny Ive is officially on the way out. See ya. B: We've had um, that Wall Street Journal article that said that uh, Cook wasn't involved, and then we had Tim Cook like make this super strong. Oh yeah, that response. was a, a little awkward. And now there is what seems to me, at least having followed this for a while, so this is where I get this kind of feeling, is a very intentionally leaked story. Because now we have multiple sources that are claiming that the new MacBook Pro later this year will have a totally new keyboard mechanism. And when you start seeing these kinds of leaks, and I'm curious to know Mike's take on this, it kind of feels like an intentional leak by Apple to set a narrative after this IVE announcement. Wait, wait. Are you suggesting
1: that they would conveniently try to imply that the crappy keyboard that was way too thin to be useful was the responsibility of a very controversial and famous designer? Who that now he's leaving, we can have a good keyboard. Is that what you're trying to say?
2: I mean, it kind of seems that way, Mike.
1: It kind of seems that way. It wasn't it interesting how Tim Cook, very Clark Kent esque, flew around the the media saying, "I make all these decisions." Yeah. And now we have a good keyboard. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, this is some uh, Floridian gator bacon. <laughs> I don't think Johnny Ive cares. I think he's a knight and rich. Yeah, it's true. I mean, he's, he comes out of this fine in every situation. Like, if anybody's ever shipped a product, particularly physical products... There's just no way this just happened, right?
0: Oh, yeah, right. I mean, if it's got to be
2: in the works for a long time. Mm, oh, no doubt about it. No doubt. I think it's been—I think that the Ive transition has been in the works since Apple Park wrapped up. That's my estimation. If you look back at some of the way they've been communicating about Ive's role and a promotion that he got around then and all of that, it kind of all equals to the beginning of a transition. And I would, I would say there was no winning here for Apple because if Tim Cook was hyper-involved— and trying to be involved in every single design decision, something tells me Johnny Ive wouldn't like that either. Yeah, right. So it's either he's not involved enough or he's too involved, and I don't think there was ever going to be a happy medium because I just my sense of the personality types at work here. And Apple's trying to
1: combat the narrative that I perhaps way too hard hit last week that you know, Tim Cook really is effectively an operations guy, right? Cuz you know, I don't know why we've we've all three of us talked about this for a long time on different shows and this show but for some reason the big tech companies love the idea of the ceo as like the god king coming down and
2: right not the just- tyrant the the yeah
1: yes i think it's silly like i would actually be more impressed if they came down and said my name's tim cook i am one of the best operations people in the world so i just hired the best programmers and designers to do that for me
2: Right, like, but they can't say that. So I don't know. That's what I would say. It seems like a pretty reasonable approach.
0: And how other industries do it, right? I mean, they you're the there the to ones, operate the business. the ones that
2: aren't media darling industries. Right.
0: Although I mean, Apple does things a little differently, right? And their history has been kind of written by these big design changes. They, well, it was not
2: bad business as usual. I think we also have to be fair. They're sort of the architect of the celebrity CEO for the tech yes. industry. They're not. The, he's not the first celebrity CEO. I mean, hello Edison. Hello Mark Shuttleworth. Yeah, but you know, for that Silicon Valley area, he sort of is the architect. Architect, whatever I'm trying to say. We're talking about a uh, Ken Metcalf, right? <laughs> no, no, of course not. I'm talking about Wozniak. Ooh. Uh It seems only. It seems only kind of fair that people still view them in that light, but it's not the reality of a company at their scale. Like when you look at the people on the team, like Craig Federighi um, and, um, Phil Schiller and uh, I would have probably cited Ive before. Mm -hmm. They seem like exceptionally talented individuals who have been at the company for a very long time. And, um, recently they've been featured more and more on podcasts. So I've actually gotten a chance to hear them in a less structured, less promotional setting. And they're very intelligent individuals. I don't know if you've had that same assessment, Mike, but it seems like, like, for example, Craig Federici really knows his shit. Of course, right? I mean, for all our trolling
1: on this show, which, by the way, is supposed to be entertainment too, right? Um, You don't become a director of insert department here at Apple without being a very smart, very capable person. Yeah. That was too nice. Yeah, I just expected some further vitriol there.
0: <laughs> no, but no, I guess.
2: <laughs> All right, so to the, to the topic on point here that really matters to the audience is, um, depending on who you uh, follow, some people would argue that the MacBook Pro is one of the premier developer platforms, especially if you're in Xcode. It's one of your only options, really, if you want to be a mobile developer. Or if you want to do HomePod development.
0: You know, still now, if you go work for some big, you know, some tech company, more than likely you're getting a MacBook, right, on your first day.
2: So the potential ramifications here are a new MacBook Pro with a larger screen that is, let's just say in theory for the sake of this conversation, designed by that new, or help design led by that new Pro team. The same team that had influence on the iMac Pro, the new Mac Mini, and the Mac Pro. Let's say they've also been involved in a Mac Pro for professionals. Ooh. Like like the King Mac Pro. They're gonna have to call it. they can't call it like Mac Pro Plus or whatever. Maybe they will. Oh, so is that like a Mac Pro Pro? Wait. M- maybe they'll call it what do they call the uh, is it X what do they call the larger iPhone? Is it just Plus still? XL. It's XL. Maybe that's maybe they'll call it the MacBook XL. I mean, I don't know. I could see it, yeah. Um, or they'll just call it the MacBook sixteen inch and it'll just be implied that the sixteen inch version is that's more the powerful. Of course. Right. And the rumor here is that it switches to, actually, the rumor is they're going to start with a MacBook Air. But I just, like, for the purposes of conversation, let's say they, ra- they launch a MacBook Pro larger screen. This one even has an SD card reader. It's got a new keyboard. It's still all USB-C, but it's got lots of USB-C. They're all Thunderbolt 3 ports. It's got this bigger screen. It's got a great keyboard. Let's just, for the sake Ooh. of argument, say it's like the T480s keyboard. It's quite nice. Okay. Have they solved the problem? Is the, is the criticism, or is all the criticism done? Is the conversation dead at that point?
0: Or is there more? Is there like a software layer, right? I mean, you've got you've got brew there. You're probably developing for Linux, at least if you're doing the enterprise side of things.
1: It, it depends on what you mean, right? Is, are you defining the problem as like the 20-something percent failure rate? Because, yeah, if you fix that, you fix that, right?
2: Well, also, it's just that they're extremely uncomfortable to type on, especially when you're typing a lot. At least for me, maybe because I'm an old typist. I mean, I've been typing for, yeah, they hurt. Oh, they hurt. Oh, no, it hurts. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I'm just thinking if they could make it a a competitive product like that, again, they may solve the criticism. Now, ironically, this particular rumor that we have linked in the show notes is about the MacBook Air. The 16 inch won't even get the keyboard this year is what it suggests. The the, the 16 inch that hasn't even been announced yet. I
1: mean, my, my issue as a, as a buyer of these devices has always been that this is your most expensive laptop and it is also your most unreliable. Unreliable. Hmm. What What do you mean? Well, no, it's not, this is not me asserting this, right? This is, People have cons- – uh, not consumer reports. Who's the um, – is it an Antec? Who does the uh, – what they think the return rates and defect rates are on all the Apple products?
2: Oh, the people that try to – yeah.
1: Yeah, it is 20-something percent. And for a laptop that I mean, is minimum going to be $2,000 unless you're buying a base model and probably for someone who has heavier needs, 3000 I don't know, even if it's just 21%, right? That, that's not an acceptable failure rate, in, in my opinion.
2: Well, that would be, no, no, that would be, if that's true, if that number's true, that would be,
1: I mean, there's no way it could be that high. Well, I mean, the Wall Street Journal did an entire piece on it, right? It's,
2: it's not, this isn't, you know. I mean, another bad. I agree with, agree with you there. And they should be a lot better. I feel like I am that guy who always says, oh, the solution to Android's uh, shortcomings is just to flash it with lineage. So I'm going to be that guy for a moment, but. Lay it on us. Apple seems to be moving in the direction of supporting macOS more and more under virtualization. To the extent that they're even adding vert IO drivers to... Isn't that interesting? The, not even just to Catalina, but they're bringing those vert IO drivers to the... What's the current version of macOS? Um Mojave? What? Yes, they're bringing them to Mojave, even, in the latest uh, releases of Mojave. Wow. Now, these VertIO drivers are what allow an operating system to have drivers that are aware it's being virtualized. It's optimized for virtualization. Yeah, it communicates intelligently with the hypervisor. And that's not an accident. Like Those don't just accidentally... Whoopsie, VertIO. hmm And uh, Windows 10 also works really great under virtualization. And when you use an AMD card with PCI pass-through... You can have full GPU acceleration for both of these. You can't do it at the same time. But you can load a VM and have full GPU pass-through for either OS. On any hardware you want that supports virtualization. Which is a lot these days. And I think it's time, you know, we were just having a pre-show conversation. Like, we have here at the studio our, and, and also in our, on our VPSs, we have divorced, as many of you probably have, the applications from the operating system. Well, now we, could, we can divorce the operating system from the hardware. It's, it's all available to us, it just takes a little extra setup, but you do it once, right?
1: You do it once, and then you've got it all configured and, and ready to go, right? If you are someone like me, who mostly is now developing server-side software, and, it, and, and frankly, some Windows desktop, but you know, mostly server-side running on Ubuntu, Linux, or SUSE, mm-hmm. why would I not just VM macOS Catalina for when I need it, and literally buy the nicest laptop with the best e- eGPU that I could possibly afford? Would you spend
0: most of your time there?
2: Would you be switching around? Because you still got your question of, you know, where are you it's spending? It's not super portable. That's the biggest downside I find. However, there are ways to do, and I this is an area I don't really know much about, but on modern, like our laptops, your your laptop right there supports virtualizing the GPU. So you can actually carve out your Intel right. GPU as a dedicated GPU to the VMs all in that laptop. You just only have Intel graphics.
1: There's a bunch of caveats with that, I thought. Isn't it like dependent on which, it doesn't matter really, but which one you have and which kind of virtualization?
0: Yeah, I mean, all this stuff is pretty hardware specific and you've got to know which flags to look through and match up the CPU and the motherboard and how all that
2: works. Like I say, it takes a little bit of work, but um, then you have sort of the stability and reliability of virtualization under those operating systems too. So then you gain things like snapshots before an update, before all those kinds of things. So you actually bring a level of stability to your development environment that you don't have when it's running on native hardware. Like I said, at the top of this, I'm going to be the guy that says, solve all your Android problems by running Lineage. Like, it's not really an option for everybody. But I think maybe it's more of an option than people realize. Because I'm on a laptop. I didn't think it was possible. Right. And it's 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 game changer. Especially if, like, yeah, like, your mic, right? Maybe you just need to run it as a build
0: server for Xcode or something. You just need to get stuff signed and, and through there. And otherwise, you can develop
2: wherever you want. I guess what it really comes down to is... Uh, is the Macintosh hardware and uh, the macOS operating system is it important to you that that you are in that ecosystem uh, and that you know maybe is it a is it a statement is it a status symbol product or is the macOS and its uh, its applications simply a tool in which you use to get your job done and maybe depending on what answer you have for that, depending on maybe that tells you what route to take now can I can I run the ball forward about five
1: years though well let's do it. This all makes sense, and this all works because uh, Windows, Mac OX, and Linux are all effectively Windows, uh, I'm sorry, Intel systems, right? They're x86, x64. Yeah, we're all running on the same chips. What happens when Uncle Tim throws down the gauntlet and says, and ARM? That's what I mean. That, that, the, that comes a lot harder, right? The virtualization, the overhead.
2: Every, it's, I think everything changes, unless, unless there's ARM hardware out there that can... Yeah, I think everything changes. But at that point, too, you've got to figure a lot of your application workflow would change too. And you may actually want an x86 version of macOS around for compatibility reasons for a really long time. And again, virtualization would really be a good use case there. That would be a fascinating transition.
1: Yeah, it will be. It's going to be painful, I think, for a lot of people.
2: And maybe it's another reason not to invest in multi-thousand-dollar Mac products when they could be at the end of a line. You mean a $47,000 Mac Pro? (laughs) Right. I mean, look at that, right? I mean, even if you could come up with another screen that is still high resolution that can connect to that thing, and there are not a lot of options there, you're still looking at probably a base $6,000 out the door for the machine once you get it configured, even adequately. Or you could put all of that money into a a custom-built PC or a, a machine you buy that could get you a lot more, and then you virtualize, and that could get you stability in a way you hadn't really considered before. And the trend line for macOS has been to support virtualization more and more. It started like five years ago with licensing changes, and, it, and the support for it has just accelerated since then.
1: Not to troll, but what if you could have a user land with like a high software compatibility and a desktop environment used by millions, and a kernel from a different OS that you can work natively in. (laughs) You are really talking up, you know, you kind of trolled last week. I am
0: curious, though, because you mentioned you were doing um, VS Code and and having, you know, that nice integration. I mean, how serious are you? Are you actually liking it that much? Is it working for your needs? Do you feel like you're effectively targeting Linux this way?
1: I have deployed software. I have uh, built binaries, a few of them that I've needed. Now, we're mostly talking about server-side software I'm developing, so it's you know, um, it's been perfectly fine. The only, and this is dumb, is that like the WSL stuff is very being worked on. I'm also using that new fancy terminal.
0: Oh, I have not tried that yet.
1: Which thanks to listener Sean McBride gave me some uh, pointers on how to set that up because the documentation is not great yet. I mean, as far as doing, um, you know, doing Ruby and doing uh, doing some .NET Core, it's, it's just fine. I am interested to see what happens. Like I have a cute project um, that I just need to pull down and take a look at something for somebody. What happens if I try to run that in WSM? I think the answer is it's just going to fail. It's. I have to say, if you are a web developer who also needs to touch, you know, it's almost it's almost the old Microsoft argument, right? If or I'm sorry, the old MacBook argument. If you are a web developer who occasionally needs like Xcode for like signing a Cordova or a PhoneGap app. This is great, right? I do have Windows applications in in the field, in the market. The vast majority of the of the software I write is being deployed, like I said, to SUSE and Ubuntu
2: servers. So that's... Um, SUSE. <laughs> yeah. Don't even get me started. I know, I know, I know. We don't. No, we don't want to disparage. Um, legitimately, though, real talk. What about the paper cuts of running Windows? You know, like, the fact that the start menu's got all over it, the fact that the Windows updates process takes a decade, the fact that it's a mishmash of UI, all those things. Okay, I've waited, I'm waiting on
1: writing the review of this but the experiences. I did intentionally, I am intentionally using hardware that is 100% Linux compatible, just in case I want to slap Pop! OS or elementary or something on this. Nice, yeah, okay. It is amazing to me how unpleasant the Windows kind of just setting up your machine experience still is these days yeah like i had to delete candy crush that's ridiculous to me yeah
2: how fiddly you have to get with the power saving settings and the update settings it's it's not hard it's just it's lots of fiddly settings that you spend a lot of time overall changing it's like using plasma
1: (laughs) no i can't
2: uh it's kind of kind of fair in a way actually
1: I mean, it's all, it's all going to be about trade-offs, right? Like, I know plenty of people who I've tried to evangelize uh, desktop Linux to who are Mac people, and they're like, are you kidding me, right? <laughs> like, I would, I would never do that, you know? Um, I, I, I would say that if you're a comfortable desktop Linux user, are you probably going to switch to Windows 10? Not unless you already needed Windows, right? Am I 100% on Windows 10? I am for now. Do I think it will last? Well, it used to be the case, and I, this is Mike's old Manhattan. The last time I seriously, seriously ran Windows, other than for like a four-month job, was, uh, I think it was Windows, oh God, I don't even know the word, 8, 8, Windows 8. It, it, it has been my experience that Windows machines tend to slow down after a while. Oh, yeah, the Windows slowdown creep. We all know that. Yeah, so if that starts to happen, I will probably get frustrated. You know how I get, and like, you know, pour a beer into it or something. But... I want to be careful how I phrase this. I don't think the Linux community should view WSL as a threat. I really actually think it's an opportunity, right? It is a sign that Linux is one. Now, maybe it's bad if you happen to be a GNOME developer, <laughs> right? Or the Ele- elementary OS team or pop OS team.
2: Yeah. You know what, Mike? As you're talking about this, you know what I realize is this is, um, it is a sign of success. Just like Wine was a sign of success for oh, Windows. yeah. People want it,
0: right? That's why Microsoft's investing real time and energy and dev hours into it.
2: Okay, can I come at this from another angle then? So, what deficiency is Windows 10 as a desktop addressing that you have found, say, in a day to day Pop! OS or modern Ubuntu install?
1: Well, that's an unfair question, right? Because I, I have four Windows applications currently in the field. So, the deficiency is.
2: No, I mean, aside from that, like, I'm wondering is, it, is, it, is, the, is application compatibility truly a, a differentiator for you at this point? Is there things that Windows 10 is doing better that make you think, gosh, even when I'm not managing Windows applications that I'm shipping, there's reasons to stay here? Actually, that is a great question.
1: It turns out that my software application compatibility, other than working on these uh, native Windows apps, is better on Windows and Linux than it is on Mac. Because anything I wanted to use, whether it be entertainment or work, there is either a Linux uh equivalency, right? Or or indeed it's a Linux tool that I couldn't use on Windows before or that I had to install via homebrew for Mac. Or if it's a game, it can run na- near natively with Lutris on Linux. On Mac, I actually have like for instance I am addicted to uh, Magic the Gathering Arena. Great game. It's for those who don't know, it's uh in fact uh, a former host here Jason used to play it all the time, right? That ran run, ran flawlessly on Pop! OS doesn't run at all on Mac without some pretty deep wine hackery.
2: Oh. Same thing with my uh, MMO of choice, Star Trek Online. I play it. Oh, dude, yes. I play it on Linux. Um, I ne- in fact, I don't play it at all under Windows. And you can't even get it to run on Mac OS, even with uh, Crossover and Wine and all of those things. It's just not happening on Mac OS.
1: So, I mean, I mean for me, and I know this is kind of a sideways way to answer your question, th- this experience has shown me, when I eventually settle down again, I'm probably going to distro hop a little on Linux or stick with Windows 10. We're, we're probably dual boot, but Mac, I, you know what? At this at this point in 2019, I really don't think it's. I don't think you should need to compromise with your operating system, which I know sounds like, you know, not nice. But Pop OS is really nice. Elementary is really nice. Right? Ubuntu is nice.
2: No, I, I I follow you. This is the end result of Linux essentially becoming, in a way, a runtime and then like i just said earlier divorcing the applications from the operating system or making it possible to run windows applications on linux and linux application on windows all of a sudden the the desktop assuming you're not subscribed to any particular philosophy is a lot more fluid and it's it matters in a in some ways a lot less even right
0: i mean like oh mac added added all that you know xive stuff just to partially to help facilitate running docker containers in a vm there
2: i run docker on mac os and it runs just fine it's got a you, there's a nice gui for it and everything it's you the craziest get that thing. GUI
0: on linux yeah no. right <laughs>
2: it's crazy uh comes with docker Compose right there yeah yeah i know so i guess my my point is is that it's just becoming less and less relevant less and less and then when you containerize the applications up in flat packs or snaps it's at a whole nother level
1: well, let me ask you, I know we're harping on this, but you guys are, I mean, would it be wrong for me to call you um, freedom
2: terrorists? Wow. I would think, yes. Sort of like, a, I mean, more like, a, it's more like a love and peace kind of vibe going on, less of a, like a Greenpeace, uh, you know, bomb something going on. Okay, can I State Department spin that then? <laughs> yeah. You're freedom fighters. Warriors,
1: um, sure. Revolutionaries.
0: It's, it's less aggressive, though, but we're on, the, we're on the path to righteousness. We're freedom recommenders. <laughs>
1: Have you heard about freedom? <laughs> Do you have a moment? <laughs> are you free? Wait, are you freedom Jehovah's Witnesses? Is that what? <laughs> I mean, don't you guys feel that you, like, honestly, JB should just be taking a victory lap here,
2: right? You won. We may have bet the, on the right horse, I suppose. Um Although, uh what, what JB originally sought out to be was really a podcast network about the desktop of Linux, which... Oh, well, never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you know, things change and evolve, and the network has changed and evolved. And we still cover that probably disproportionately to the actual market size. Um, but it's what we're all into. And we are, we are very lucky that more and more of the workloads have come to Linux. So that has been very fortunate, because people want to know what's going on with it now.
0: Yeah, there's a certain spirit of it, I think, that's distilled in the desktop. I mean, in some ways it is separate, but many of the communities that make
1: both software commingle. Well, I would say there's honor in fighting a losing battle. And speaking of losing battles, Wes, how's that Objective-C? Oh, Mike, I knew you were going to ask about this. (laughs) I love these challenges so much. Ooh, yeah, okay, so... You sent me on
0: a, a very different path to the world of Objective-C. And, okay, so I'll be honest, I didn't go down the complicated route of setting up a Mac OS VM. Now, that might be something worth Shocker. trying. in Yeah, right? That may be something worth trying in the future, but you encouraged me to explore what other options <laughs> existed. And it's been really interesting. I mean, you know I'm interested in programming languages, and Objective-C kind of has some... I mean it's been around for a long time so it's got some interesting origins especially the connection to small talk but because I was using the the GNU step environment
2: um it kind I'm of sorry, felt, it kind I'm of sorry, felt what? like a
0: history lesson it felt like I was studying a
2: dead language in some ways you the GNU step I so I looked into uh, if you want to get a modern GNU step live environment uh, I believe it was last updated in 2017 um so <laughs>
0: Yeah, I looked. Yeah, into but that. it's packaged up like the you know the compiler and the runtimes and stuff packaged mm-hmm. up in Debian, no problem. So I was able to pull those down. Um, got a couple things compiling. You know, I did hello world, and as Mike asked, I was playing around with some of the message passing and stuff, which is, I mean, honestly, I can see why Mike loves Objective C. Now, for me, it was kind of a low level, going back to a little lower level of software in a little bit. Well, it is. It is what thirty years old, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, but comparing it to C++, as was kind of done at the time, mm. it's remarkably simple. So, you know, even for needing to have a bunch of sort of inherent complexity, because it is lower level, you know, it is um, targeting sort of comp- complicated environments and doing so in an older style and running closer to the metal. It's still, I mean, it's still surprisingly civilized, I would say. And would you agree with me, Mike? Is that kind of what, what you feel about it?
1: I'm sorry, I'm tearing up because it warms my heart that it's 2019 and I somehow got someone to do Objective C.
2: You know, I find it kind of ironic, even, that it became popular because of the iPhone, which is such a modern device, and this is such a... It's it's that whole story, and the fact that then Java on Android, it's such a... Those are not... It's it's not how I would have predicted it going. Right, you wouldn't think so.
1: At all. So, it's interesting, because one... I I actually... I didn't say anything to you while you were doing it. I did not expect you to go the Gnu Step route, because that's actually the harder path. You could have been helping me this whole time, Mr. Dominic. Well, no, it's well, the option was also set up a Mac VM, which I don't know how hard or easy that right? So, I mean, I, I honestly, I do kind
0: of want to, I need one of those anyway. Not neat, but it would be fun to have. I've, I've hackintoshed in the past. So, well, I get my mine bloodline. finalized.
1: Oh, yeah, Look, yeah. I agree with everything you said. And I would even wonder if you could expound more on the it felt like going back in time. Cause I actually think Objective C is a language that is unabashedly from the early 90s and i know it was older than that but really that's when yes you know there were updates later on when the iphone came out but its core its concepts the way it thinks about programming right it's direct um ancestor is small talk right it's like small talk and c kind of um but it basically it says that we are object oriented um but we are a small language right i mean how did you feel about just the size of the language
0: yeah, it doesn't, you know, it's not super weighed down by a ton of stuff. And obviously, you know, you get more of that if you're targeting, you know, the, the Mac ecosystem and using a bunch of their libraries on top. But yeah, you know, um, C was, uh, I think, the first programming language that, like, you could really count if we don't count uh, Visual Basic 6, which I don't think we should. What about Real Basic? <laughs> <The> half <laughs> I counts, know. half counts. So uh, it did, you know, it, it was, it was kind of nice. All of my more recent, you know, low-level experiments have been playing around with Rust or I have done some C++ a, a few years ago and I don't have a strong desire to go back. Interesting. I think I could handle Objective C. I mean, these days, you know, it probably be it would probably be Swift, but it it was an interesting contrast because using the message passing system, it's and you know and some of the the inheritance from Smalltalk, even for being a low-level compiled language, it's surprisingly dynamic and I think you You miss out on a lot of that, for better and for worse. I mean, there are are lots of good things about the extra, you know, staticness and safety of Swift. But it's an interesting throwback or, you know, has such a unique place in the landscape of programming language design. And I think it's it's interesting how popular it got from kind of obscure
2: origins. I have a couple questions for you. Um, So... The second question I'll, I'll do first, how cool is it that you can go, like, back in time with some of this stuff? And not, not, it, not like, GNU Step is fairly well-preserved, but not everything is. Like, we need to do better at preserving these things and having ways to stand these up.
0: Well, yeah, I mean, I know, like, with, with Smalltalk, there's, there's similar things where you can get some of the images and get them to run. And there's even, I forget the name of it, um, but there's some, like, modern distributions of it. It is interesting though because you have different eras of computing and you can c- contrast that with say looking back at Android versions which is like impossible cuz so much of it is online that like, you just can't really preserve that mm-hmm. environment mm-hmm. so it's nice when you have some of these older languages because they weren't they just weren't connected systems right it's all standalone it just exists as long as you have the source material and because it was added as part of the GNU project you know that's that's free so it
2: it's preserved it would be so cool if there was like some archive.org style project that would create like maybe a Linux environment VM snapshot of, a, of something in time mm-hmm. and then make it available. And you could, you could just start up every, the entire environment from that time or something.
0: Maybe like a, like a little interactive thing you could go through and
2: maybe explore what made that language unique or explore that environment. Okay, so my first question was, is, as somebody who's got um, no experience at this, object-oriented seems like it would get very complex after a while like is that can you am i wrong seems like it seems like for something simple no problem you could keep the whole thing in your head but you start to get to something that's fairly comp even somewhat complicated it seems like it would just become a massive a massive thing to keep track of that you you wouldn't be able to keep it all in your head that's why fp exists what's FP? Yeah, it sounds like it sounds like you should stay tuned for the
0: next episode of Coder Radio, oh, okay. Chris, because oh, okay. we're going to have a little <laughs> conversation about functional programming and object-oriented programming. Oh, nice tease. And how they fit together and you know, maybe how to combine the paradigms a bit. I like that. Good Hey guys, good idea. <laughs> well played. Well played. <laughs> Interestingly, I think Objective-C is kind of neat because like again, comparing it to C++, the the message passing style is just it just feels a little simpler. Um, So I I can see that aiding. And then there's just lots of, you know, you get design patterns and paradigms that one applies for certain abstractions to try to, you know, detangle some of that mess.
1: So do you think for a junior developer, there would be any value in saying, you know what, just for like a weekend, stand up a GNU step environment on your arch distro, because that's what you all seem to run. And, uh, you know, go back in time. No man, I got Debian 10 on here. I'm Come on the door over there. Oh, here, Debian. Right? Oh, I you know what, you're 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 on the cutting edge, man,
2: Debian. Debian 10 just came out this weekend. <laughs> I know. See? <laughs> Damn it, they got me again.
0: It's amazing.
2: Hey, I'm running Windows. Come on.
0: You know, I, I would say if they're interested in doing the, iOS development, yeah, maybe. Like it could be interesting from that perspective oh, as yeah. a way to get the toe in the water. If you're just interested from like the historical language stuff, maybe it's better to just tr- play with small talk directly
1: interesting okay
0: but i mean it's it's easy enough so i don't think i wouldn't dissuade someone from doing it i i certainly enjoyed it and it might it might be worthwhile i mean i guess even with swift it's good to know a little
2: objective c right um just enough to read it let's say oh i think that's definitely the case yeah because that's not going away anytime soon you're working on a project that's been around for a little bit arm six arm transition you know i was also pretty impressed with
0: um I mean, one, it was a stark reminder of the weird history Apple's had with the open-source community and some of the license battles and uh, the transition away from GPL software as they distribute it and LLVM and its rise to fame. Like, all of that happens in the Objective-C history as well, right? It's part and parcel of that. Yep, it, It's it's tied to Apple's history. So
1: it's fun to, to look at that way, too. It's the same reason you can't have a good version of Bash on Mac.
2: <laughs> all right, well, do we know what... Uh um mike's challenge is going to be oh no oh yes we do now uh, just a little public service announcement next week's episode because of travel will be pre-recorded so the challenge will be taking a week off that's right so there'll be a break there because yeah, mike's gonna get a little extra time yeah we're about to record next week's episode in just a little bit oh i won't be here but they are
0: yeah it'll be it, actually i think it's gonna fit in um fit in just fine as you'll see this is perhaps overdue, but Mike, you got me with objective C, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you something close to my own heart. Closure is ah, your choice
1: this week. Fair <laughs> enough. I did this to myself. Okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, yeah. do you want me to give you some starting resources, or should I left leave you to fend in the uh, fields of Google?
1: You know, it leave me in the woods because I want to see like wh- someone who doesn't know closure. Where do they go?
0: Hmm. Okay, yeah, actually, I'm going to be interested to see what you find.
2: You might come across to West Payne Talk if you look hard enough. Ooh! Now I'll be looking for it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I am. I you both. You both held on to these particular choices much longer than I expected. Um, kept the powder dry for a while. It's all about the slow play. Let's see if this is the peak now. <laughs> now
1: you're just gonna be throwing random things at each other. Now we're gonna go for the most annoying language as possible. After this, I think. How
2: about the mole's cat language now? Oh yeah! I mean uh, brain. Could be included as well. Oh, That's man. a classic. Wonderful. You know, guys, I always appreciate letting me uh, hang out for a bit. It's always nice. Oh, it's fun. Thank you for joining us. Oh, no, you quit. Did you know that we have a great website where people can get all kinds of resources? I think it's coder.show. Coder.show. You can find our RSS
0: feed. You can find ways to contact us. And you can find the whole back catalog of Coder Radio episodes. And, I mean... There's a whole bunch of them, so go start listening.
2: You know, we should take a moment, too, Mike. If you got things going on, anything you want to mention or send the listeners, take a moment, because uh, we got, like, uh, you know, a space right here just for you to let them know about it.
1: Oh, beautiful. Uh, check out Ati Manuka on Twitter, and check out TheMadBotter.com. We're going to have some cool stuff in about, well, I guess, since we're doing a time delay, four weeks. Oh, it's better just
0: to you know just to follow and and see what happens over there. You know, and you know, yeah. But you can always bookmark it.
2: Just check back in a couple of weeks. Easily done. Uh, I'll I'll plug. Uh, see what do I want? I'll plug at Chris LAS. and also I'm going to plug User Air. Such a good show. That is like such a good show. Go check out the just go check out the most recent episode, and then if you like it, go check out the back catalog. But oh man, such a good show! So I, we we don't give it enough attention. It's great, yeah,
0: and it's it's a fun diversion. It's a little different than a lot of the other shows on the network. So if you're tired of hearing about tech news, go get some real life news. Error dot show. Um, I'm on Twitter too. I'm at West Payne. What and I'm really? Gonna, I'm gonna go plug your show, Linux Action News. Oh, I really thanks. enjoyed this week's episode, um, especially your well reasoned breakdown of this whole. DNS over HTTPS oh, debacle Mozilla's and an evil villain.
2: Mozilla yeah. some
0: told me we're going to talk more about this topic
2: yeah yeah yeah. internet the Mozilla villain is uh, really all kind of just way out there and so it really all comes down to something that you wouldn't expect and I think people are like like now realizing what? like there's something kind of big coming down the pipe too yeah that was a fascinating episode thank you linuxactionnews.com
0: hey, you can find all the other shows over at jupiterbroadcasting.com thank you all for joining us